Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All The Things podcast, episode number 20, Cross-Platform Web Development. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. What have you been up to this week, Mike? So, yeah, Matt, so it's been, I think, a couple weeks now since we've recorded an episode. Um, I believe so, at least. No, I think we did. We did one episode last week, uh, but... Or did we? We didn't, No, right? no, no. I, I, we did two pre-recorded episodes because I. this is my first day back. That's right. Because okay. I left on a on a podcast day. That was the issue. It was like I'm gone for a week and a half, but it's like a podcast day. Exactly. So like welcome back. Well, yeah. Welcome back, you. Matt. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So while you were gone, uh, we were just in the middle of launching the HTML things website. So I'm sure that most of you have already listened to those episodes and perhaps even visited the site. Uh, but if you haven't, you can check it out at htmlallthings.com. Uh, so pretty much what I've been doing is just, you know, performing the little maintenance things on the site, like, you know, at making sure it's SSL, uh, doing all the, um, CDN stuff. So it now has all the images cached all around the world so that you don't have to worry about loading times as much. Uh, I've even tested with people in Russia and they said the site loads extremely fast. I've tested with people here saying that they've like, you know, I'm really happy with the performance of it pretty much right now. Um, The next things will be some iterative design tweaks, most likely uh, some feature ads. Um, We just added comments, actually. So if you have if you have a chance, you can go check out the site, maybe leave a comment on any of the posts that you see there. Uh, We'll see how that works. Uh, That would be great for, you know, helping us test out the site as well. Uh, And yeah, so that's that's pretty much been the name of my game this week. other than that, actually, I've been going pretty hard on Instagram just to try to learn its algorithms and stuff like that. And I've had some minor success there that we'll be testing out over the next couple of weeks, I think. Uh, but yeah, that's that's about it. What about you, Matt? How was your vacation? Uh, pretty good. So I took off. Uh, I took off. I think it's like I said, about a week and a half. So I did two things. Uh, so uh, I'm a huge Fallout fan. So I, I purchased Fallout 76 and I played that pretty solid for about a week or so. And then I went up to uh, to a cottage in a town, like a, I was going to say a local town, but it's maybe about an hour away, uh, called Niagara in the Lake. And I went to a cottage out there, and I did that for about maybe five days, four or five days, something like that. So with a whole bunch of friends, maybe like nine nine folks. So yeah, it was uh, it was a really good time. We just kind of like hung out and just went out to dinner and you know, did basically just just did a hangout. We didn't actually have anything scheduled. It was just like a really like kind of relaxing vacation. Uh, a lot of people uh, got a lot of sleep. So a uh, lot lots of naps were had for sure. Uh, not by me. I don't really sleep much, but uh, lots of naps were had for sure during that vacation for everybody else and uh yeah, it was really 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 good, really really relaxing. And uh, I was able to stay away from work stuff, so, like, the email stuff was, I just kind of, like, ignored the email, because email's pretty easy to ignore. It's like, oh, there's an email, it's gonna get rid of that, because it's, like, almost like a, it's almost like its own, its own app. Um, oh, uh, funny enough, I used this, this uh, exact scenario, like, the vacation scenario, to remove myself from a whole bunch of freaking newsletters, and I have never had so few emails in my life. I've, I, I was receiving, I think, the first day, the first day I was up there. I received like 15 emails on the way up and it was like an hour drive. And I was like, ah, uh, okay. So what I did was I like deleted those emails. Like I always do. And I was like, I don't know why I'm keep doing this chore of deleting emails. So I just, every time an email came in, if it was irrelevant and I didn't care about in general, what that service was, 
just get just get me out of there. And even and even to go as far as to remove myself from some of the notification emails, which may have actually been helpful at some point. But there's a point in which it's like 80% of these are useless. I can't handle this. I'm out. So that was kind of, that was like a big, <laughs> a big step forward from my inbox. So as of this morning, I had like two emails from like two emails. That was it from like random services, which were actually relevant. So that, that's pretty good. That's, that's like years in the making. I understand it's probably easy or it was easy, but it's probably years in the making, but yeah, it was a really good vacation. So, and it's uh, it's good to be back. I was, I was monitoring and slightly posting on Instagram here and there. Uh, so, uh, last like few days I kind of didn't cause I was like up there and we were kind of in like the thick of it, but like I was monitoring the insights and that type of thing. And just as Mike said, like he's learning out Instagram and so am I, and it, like it, it seems to be going rather well. Uh, our podcast, even our podcast downloads, especially if you're listening to this, our podcast downloads appear to be up per episode, uh, from what I can tell, uh, just coming back. Like I said, I'm like back, like it's like two hours back. So <laughs> I'm still getting, still landing here, but, but, uh, yeah, let's, let's, I, th- I think, I think that's a good, a good summary of what, what went down. It was a pretty, pretty, I think that was probably my longest vacation I've taken since we started the company. I think the long, cause I, otherwise there's like a week. So yeah, it was good to uh, sort of get away and it's also good to be back. But I think, I think it's now time to introduce this episode. So, this episode, as it's titled, Cross-Platform Development, of course, we'll be going through our segments, but I just want to do a really brief intro before I do that. So, cross-platform, there's my, uh, there's my, there's me trying to come back there. Cross-platform development allows you to code once and compile to everywhere, giving you the time savings of making an entire app for each incompatible platform. Um, but of course, as I say that, and as with everything, it's not always as simple as just compiling to everything without changing everything. Uh, and we'll discuss like the nitty gritty of what I'm trying to say of that in the actual episode. Uh, for the most part, and we've used other things, but for the most part, we've used Apache Cordova, uh, and we've achieved this. We've actually achieved this successfully via BB10, Android, and then of course it can do its own web app version because it's like a web code base, if you will. You know, JS, CSS, HTML, um, and sometimes that web app version didn't even need to be compiled. Because you're not using the more advanced features. Again, really, really depends on your application. Um, and ultimately, cross-platform development allows web developers to release mobile applications without the need to learn different coding languages or the need to code up and differently or an entirely different app for iOS and Android. So uh, I can't think of a specific example, but I remember when these started to sort of take off a bit, there was a lot of uh, news sites and that type of thing where they would make their, their web app or make their mobile app as this, and then maybe eventually as the company grew, they would get like a native app made up maybe from another company or whoever that worked within their inner workings. But that was like sort of a popular thing. It's like, okay, this is a new site. We need all this stuff. Let's just pump it out. Um, but the, like, it's a totally viable solution for like a permanent, a permanent app as well. Uh, if, if you don't need like super advanced things. And again, we'll get into that in the actual episode. So Segment number one is going to be uh, when to use and when not to use cross-platform development. Segment number two is cross-platform technologies. Segment number three is progressive web apps. And segment number, or I guess it's not segment number four, it's web news. It's called strict learning. And that's that's one I kind of concocted while I was was out at the cottage uh, this weekend. So it's going to be a bit of an interesting one. So I'm going to take over for the first segment here, when to use slash not use cross-platform development. So cross-platform web development allows you to build apps in JavaScript that you can then use as native apps on iOS, Android, and even Windows. 
This allows developers that are already familiar with JavaScript to, to make great like native experiences without having to learn those new languages, learn all the nitty gritty about each thing. It's just essentially one code base, sometimes some minor tweaks, and you're off to the races. Now, in some cases, like with Apache Cordova, a team can use one single code base with some hooks for different platforms to build their applications for the web, Android, and iOS, um, and have their resources. Oh, I'm, I'm skipping. Um, this is, this is me coming back. I'm skipping, I'm skipping points. I'm half reading points. I'm going to reread that point. In some cases, like with, like with Apache Cordova, a team can use one single code base with some hooks for different platforms to build their applications for the web, Android, and iOS. So, Basically, it's like, imagine you build a website. Let's, let's, let's use the news website because it's a relatively easy thing, like a blog. You make, you use one website. Obviously, there's different hooks for things, right? Like you can have native, uh, Windows applications. Let's say you can have like Android applications and they're all like formatted a little differently and that type of thing. So you can kind of like, you know, make your news website, right? And then make a nice app for it, like maybe a web app and then have that web app quote unquote, be ported to each of these different platforms with the diff with like some, some of those little modifications. Like I said, it's not like just as easy as simply compiling. Sometimes it is if you're not using some of the features, but if you're trying to make sure everything's formatted nicely for each platform, you're probably going to have some slight variations between those versions. Uh, and this allows for, this allows for more agile development and smaller development teams as you don't have resources tied up in native development. So Instead of you having, you know, a Java team and someone else is doing some iOS stuff and then someone else is doing the web app and then someone else is doing the Windows app or whatever you guys are doing, x86, whatever. You don't have, you don't have guys all over the place. You can kind of like really easily, you kind of like really easily like make one nice code base, you know, have some, maybe have a couple of guys like, you know, quickly do the little tweaks, like I said, and then you're, you're pretty good. Now, the, uh, the issues arise when needing, this issue arises when needing to perform complex multimedia tasks like constantly playing audio and video. So, like I said, it's like there's like those little tweaks like using the different like notifications like formatting and that type of thing. However, like there's some issues that come into play when you're starting to really use the device. So this is why some places will will do more native experiences. So it'll be like it'll be like obvious if you think about it like in the Apple way, whereas like Apple makes the hardware and the software, right? If you, if Apple makes the software, it's kind of like coded for that hardware and it's like a melding. So it's like they can, like they only had very, they had very few, uh, like very, very little RAM in their iPhones for a very long time. And people were like, well, how are they playing these high end games? It's because they were melding them. Whereas Android was more general, was running on a bunch of different hardware, right? So the same kind of thing here, right? So you're, let's say you're calling, like I said, constantly calling on multimedia things like playing audio or video. It's going to get a little bit janky because you're calling on a more like something bigger than just like listing that news article and listing that text. It's something that's like a little more specialized and you're telling devices across like a whole bunch of different platforms and a whole bunch of different hardware in, in some cases that, hey, I need you to, you know, play this video and like the device has to interpret that. So your your app is made correctly it's just the app is not made for each individual piece of hardware something like kind of like how apple would so this is where like kind of issues start to arise and as we've experienced with heavy media tasks uh, they can cause crashes and uh like crashes in web views where native code might perform just fine so maybe there's a memory leak somewhere maybe you're using way too much ram just like right out of the gate maybe you're blowing a stack whatever there's like those issues that can arise because you're not saying like, Oh, Android do this. You're just telling Cordova, Hey, I need Android to do this. Hey, I need windows to do this. And then it's handling it and it can get a little bit janky sometimes. So, um, and, but 
like to be clear, some people even make games, which are obviously more demanding. Some people even make games on these things. Uh, we've seen people like get game engines in there and whatever else they do. Uh, it's like a that, that's pretty advanced in and of itself. And you can kind of see some of those examples on I think it's the Phone Gap website. You can kind of see people and they've released games under like one code base. But in general, like you just gotta kind of watch it, right? Because like you are essentially using a different, it's almost like a framework. Like this cross-platform development stuff is like almost using like its own framework. It's like it has its own tips and little tweaks and little, little methods to get things done. Now, just be aware that when decided to go with cross-platform development because you never, you, you can never simulate the performance of uh, a native application. So if you really need like really fast loading times, if you really need uh, like a really buttery smooth animation, if, if that's important to you, then that's when the native stuff comes into play. That's when you really should make a native application. And that's probably why, as I said, as a company will sometimes grow, they'll maybe have that web app or that cross-platform app up on, let's say, the Android store and then or the Google Play store. And then they'll eventually be like, okay, you know, we made a hundred grand this year or whatever it is. Let's, you know, let's get a developer in here. Let's get a nice native application made up. Let's make it like super premium and really, really nice. Now, you can absolutely get animations and everything else. Like, I don't want people that use these things to think that we're ripping on them in any way or anything like that. You can absolutely use these things. And and like I said, even for games, it's just you need to be really, really efficient yourself because this thing as a generalized platform like as like this crop platform thing is very generalized and as we've discussed in prior episodes when you have something that's generalized it's not as efficient as it as it could be like again with that apple to apple software to apple's hardware so but for like a small business for example like a bakery or restaurant if they want an app that like resembles their website then using cross the using this like sort of cross plat cross platform uh framework is ideal because it can save them money and really gives them the functionality that they desire. And at the same time, it's like all they're really doing is loading pictures and maybe they're, maybe they're loading. It's almost like a digital business card. Sometimes maybe they just want people to be able to fill out a form. Maybe they want people to be able to send, do a phone call, whatever it, you know, it like really, really like you know, take a look at exactly what your application needs, what it wants and the experience of your team with these cross platform uh, frameworks like Cordova and ensure that you get Ensure that you choose the right solution. Do you want native or do you want this cross-platform thing? Uh, I'm going to pass it on to Mike because he's going to dive into the individual pieces to sort of try to stitch this together, stitch the the ideas that I was just saying together. So for segment number two, take it away, Mike. All right. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I like that um, the iOS or Mac example that you provided where like, you know, to get the most performance, you you want that software and hardware to meld. And like you said, if you... Uh, you just got to know that these cross-platform technologies don't really provide that on the same level that if you were to use a native technology. So, so it was a good example. I think it, it, it should resonate with a lot of people. Um, so I'm going to move on. So the segment number two is cross-platform technologies. And I'll be going into uh, a little bit more detail about which cross-platform technologies I have a little bit of experience with or which ones I want to kind of look look forward to using and stuff like that. Um Really, and like Matt said, Apache Cordova is the number one technology that we we both have used. Uh, I believe Matt created a BB10 application. Uh, I've created an application for uh, Android and iOS on there. Um, so I have like enough knowledge, I would say, to talk about it pretty extensively. Um, so the main advantages of Apache Cordova are it's free and it's open source. So like 
that that's a that's a big thing for me the open source thing is important because you want to know what is actually going on in your code and you know as you open source something a lot of people will go through it and you know go through it with a fine-tooth comb and if you find they find any security vulnerabilities if they find any weird like scammy code in there then you'll know about it that's the advantage of open source especially when it's a big open source project uh you, you'll definitely know if there's anything wrong with the with the application uh so i, I i'm fairly confident in apache cordova because of this um and what it is is it's a plugin uh, that you install kind of through npm and it allows it extends your cli and it allows you to uh create native applications so package native applications out of a standard website code so first you have to kind of like add a platform that you want to create so ios android windows whatever uh, and after that, you kind of put your code into the specific folder that it creates for you when you add that platform. And then you can, then you go back into your command line interface and you ask it to build that application. And it automatically goes through the process, uses the platform tools for Android. Uh, on iOS, it uses uh, Xcode and it'll create an actual app that you can then install on your device. Uh, you're also able to package it for the store. Uh, there's many, many different options that you can do and it's it's very extensive and I've kind of gone through a lot of these options and it's, it's fairly well documented. A lot of the stuff, if it's not documented, you can find on Stack Overflow and all that stuff because it's a fairly big framework. And I think it's a fairly big framework uh, because it's one of the only ones that allows you to actually use cross-platform across everything. Um, so most of the frameworks that I've looked at and yesterday I spent uh, a considerable amount of time looking at all the different frameworks out there. As far as I can tell, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure Apache Cordova is the only or one of the only ones that allows you to actually build for web and for all the other native applications. So Android and iOS and et cetera. Um, so you're, you're actually able to use one single code base across all of your applications, which is I, for us, uh, when we were deciding with uh, Azar, one of, one of our clients, uh, we have an episode with him uh, a few episodes back Um when we were deciding what technology to go with, this was a huge plus because we're a two-person development team. Uh, Matt helps us out every once in a while when he's not working on his own client work for uh, Digital Dynasty. But realistically, we're a very small development team. And to be able to support you know, iOS because we have iPads deployed, Android because we have a lot of tablets deployed as our main uh, digital marketing infrastructure, to be able to support all that, with a two-person team is impossible. So like, I, I, as I'm sure most of you know, unless you don't sleep, you're not going to be able to create completely separate native applications for every single device and then hope that you can then support it with the two-person team. So the, the option was get funding and get like, you know, a good 8, 10, 12 developer team and then build out the native applications in all the different uh, languages or continue on with what we have uh, which was a web application, and uh, find these cross-platform technologies. And this was now three years ago when maybe it wasn't as refined, uh, so it was a little bit more risky in my opinion. And we, we decided on the riskier route where we would just package it into uh, different, like it package our web application into an Apache Cordova application and then, you know, put it onto all the different devices that we have. Um and it definitely worked out for us uh for the most part because most of the, most of the functionality we could we could uh easily take from the native apis uh like we could we needed storage functionality so a file system uh that's that's a big thing that these uh, 
these cross-platform technologies give you is ability to use native APIs like push notifications, file system, camera, uh, et cetera, like many, many others. As you know, on an iOS device, you can't access the camera through the browser. So the, the only way to access the camera on an iOS device is actually build a native application. And that's another thing. That's another reason why we, we decided to go that way too. Um, so stuff like that, like we were able to create a full offline mode application, which was a critical uh, because we don't know what kind of like where our products are deployed. We don't know if they're going to have an amazing internet connection. So the, the, a big driving force in this was to create an offline mode. And one of the only ways to do that, at least three years ago, was to create a native application. Uh, now there's a different way to do it. And I'll talk about it in, in the next segment. But uh, for, for now, let's assume that this is three years ago. It's not as widespread. And um we're creating these offline mode applications with native API access using Apache Cordova. So it was a huge plus for us because, yes, we still had to do some tweaks. Uh, Matt was mentioning how it's not like, you know, press one button and package. No, if you want to use these native uh, these native APIs, you have to actually write code for the native APIs. Uh, now, it just, it just gives you kind of a actual API for it, and it's fairly well documented. It's pretty simple to use. Uh, it's right on the Apache Cordova site with all the different plugins they have. And uh, you're able to just, you know, plop it into your code and it'll work. But again, you have to put in some hooks to detect, oh, if you're using like, you know, if you if you want to use your application on the web and on Android, uh, you want to put in some hooks to detect which platform it's running on. And based on the platform it's running on, do some a little bit different initializations, loading. Uh, Cordova requires you to load a little bit differently than the web, the regular website does. But it's very minor. Um, I think anyone could kind of pick it up as they go if they want to build a one pe- platform for all kind of application. It's definitely not uh, like difficulty prohibitive. Um, so... That, that was our kind of understanding of it. That's why we decided to do it. Now, did we run into problems? Yes, for sure we ran into problems. Like Matt was saying in the in the previous segment, uh, we our application has many, many, many videos. Um, and, as a, and, it, and it's also running 24 hours a day, potentially. Uh, so what happens is, is that the HTML5 video implementation isn't as effective or as efficient as the regular native video player that you can have. Um, and we could hook into the native video player with the with the API hooks, but we wanted to have, like, that would require almost building another application on the side there internally, and we wanted to just, you know, use one code base, like I've been saying. And the, the issue that we ran into is our application, when running many, many videos after a certain X amount of hours, and it wasn't, like, you know, a standard, oh, after every three hours, it wasn't that. It was just X amount of hours, doesn't matter. It would uh, it would either reload or, or crash or something. Like, there was probably a memory leak I haven't been able to detect a memory leak because you can you can see the garbage collector kind of working in uh, Android Studio. You can hook up your your device uh, w- with a cord and see how your memory management is working. I wasn't able to detect a memory leak, but it was nonetheless it was crashing. Um, couldn't figure it out, so we had to kind of limit the amount of videos we had. We had and I had to put in a force reload so that after the playlist plays X amount of times, so after the videos play an X amount of times, just reload the application, start from scratch kind of thing. Uh, and I had to really put a lot of effort into making sure that that reload was very uh, user-friendly because if someone's watching the screen and all of a sudden it flashes and starts reloading like crazy and it's a long reload, that's a huge problem, especially if there's no internet connection. Again, that offline mode comes into play. So it, it was a challenge. It definitely provided some... Uh, some challenges and looking looking back we would probably still do the same thing just because of the monetary restriction that we had and we couldn't afford that many developers 
Uh, but we would maybe approach it a little bit differently, maybe limit the amount of multimedia content that we would allow the users to be able to uh, use. Um, uh, stuff like that. But right, right now, actually, the player is extremely stable after, you know, it's been three years now that we've been working on it. It better be stable. So right now, this player can run for... I, I don't know, weeks at a time without having to reload, without having to restart. So we're in a very good condition with this uh, Apache Cordovaized application. So very happy with it. I would recommend it to people that are doing these uh, smaller applications. Maybe not something as as ambitious as we are. If you have the resources, I would definitely consider going into a native. Again, if you don't, it is possible to make it work. You'll just rec- It'll just require some, you know, development time, which isn't exactly a bad thing. Um so that, that's kind of my, my thought process on Apache Cordova. Uh, I'll move on to the next stuff that I kind of have heard of and I've used a little bit and I've kind of looked into. Uh, the, the, two, the two that I've looked into more extensively are React Native and NativeScript with Vue.js. Uh, so both are very similar. Uh, React Native allows you to kind of, if you're very familiar with React, allows you to build a React application for a mobile uh for a mobile device, so iOS or Android. Uh, the, the difference here between Apache Cordova and these two, the main difference that I can see is, again, that uh, you can't build for the web in React Native. So you can't make a website in React Native and then hope to deploy that same website on a phone as well and then use the same code. No, it's like React Native uses different uh, dis- uh, layout infrastructure. So it uses, uh, I believe it also uses XML just as NativeScript does or a version of XML. So it, 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 it constructs layouts n- almost natively as a device or as a, you know, a Java or a, uh, you know, an Android Studio or a Xcode developer would construct the layout. Um the difference is that for the scripting side of it, it uses completely JavaScript and its own hooks and its own framework for all the scripting and event event handling, stuff like that. So it still allows your developers that are very familiar with React or very familiar with Vue uh, to be able to code and create these applications uh, without having to go and pick up a Java book and learn how to completely you know, re- code in Java or completely code in Objective-C, whatever it is, uh, which is a huge plus, obviously. It also, like, the frame, frameworks are very powerful, and um, I know that v- with the Vue framework, the the animations are a very big thing in there, where, like, uh, Vue.js is very focused on animations and adding animations and taking them away uh, in a very, very, like, efficient manner, and they're very, on their website, at least, they they confirm that even on iOS and Android devices, they're running at 60 FPS, which is a which is kind of a big hurdle uh, if you want to do animations on with these uh, cross-platform technologies. You the hurdle is to get them running efficiently and get them running at 60 FPS because you don't want a janky animation that takes away all the interest and all the utility of it, right? Like if the user notices the animation happening and like you know it jars them, then that animation has now made their user experience worse instead of better, which is opposite what you want. Uh, so that's a big thing with these uh, frameworks. I think it's a little bit easier to implement animations with them. Um, so uh, the reason I'm saying this is maybe I'll look into using native script uh, with Vue.js for uh, one of the next projects that I'm doing. So you can stay tuned for that. That might be that, that, that could potentially be some content on the HTML, the thing site. Uh, if you're interested in learning how to build cross-platform with Vue.js, let me know. 
Uh, I'll definitely, you know, the more people that tell me, the more motivated I am to do it. But I'll definitely be looking into doing some projects based on that. Um, so the next the next thing I want to talk about is Ionic. Uh, and we've talked, Matt and I have talked about Ionic, I believe, uh, internally a couple times Um but what, what Ionic is, is it allows you to do kind of the same thing that we've been talking about. I'm not going to get too far into it because I haven't used it yet. But uh, it's the same thing that we've been talking about, building one one code base for all the different applications. Uh, but it, instead of mobile applications, it's desktop applications. So Mac OS and Windows. So you're, it allows you to build like, I think Skype was once built in Ionic. So they, they built a web version of Skype. And then I, I took an Ionic, the Ionic framework put it into a web application and it was put on the put on your desktop so stuff like that like you can actually build desktop fully functioning desktop applications with access to the file system with access to like network connection stuff like that um and you're able to you know package that as a you know dot exe file uh and run it on your on your windows or mac os machine obviously mac os you it would be a different file file package uh so that's that's all i'm going to say about ionic so if you've noticed i haven't talked about all of them there's you know lists of like top 20 top 30 top 50 there's tons of different cross-platform frameworks these are the ones that i'm most familiar with that i'm most interested in um the other thing is i've I've mostly talking about the web development frameworks there are others uh like xamarin and uh i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right it's hammerin or xamarin i'm not sure um or uh flutter i've talked about flutter before but those require you to know languages other than javascript so i've kind of avoided them for this discussion maybe we'll bring them up in a different uh, episode at some point but just know that there's not only these things out there if you're more familiar with c sharp or you're more familiar with uh with dart programming language for some reason there are uh, cross-platform technologies for you as well so you can uh, easily look that up and find them on google um so i'm gonna I'm going to move on to the next segment, but before I do that, I'm just going to pass it off to Matt if he has any questions or comments uh, about this segment that we just did. Uh, I do, but it might be for the next one. I'm not really sure, so I'll just ask it now. Mm-hmm. Um, how viable, and this might just be an opinion question, how viable do you think making an app like cross-platform with, like how viable do you think UWP is, I guess is my question, is more of a direct way to say it. Universal web apps? No, uh, Windows platform. Windows? Universal Windows um, platform. So it's like, like you can make it, I think, in Cordova and stuff, but it's like, at this point in the game, like, if people are using these cross-platform things, and let's say they're using whatever it is, like like Cordova, and let's say there is an option, I can't remember if there is, I'm pretty sure there is, but there let's is. say there is an option for UWP, how viable is that versus just saying, ah, I'm going to compile it for web? Do well, you- like, how how popular is the web like windows 10 store that's that's how viable it is like it's it the windows 10 store the last time i checked it which was probably a week ago is is not particularly great and i'm being very muted right now like i could i could go on another rant right right i think we've gone on enough windows rants but like the windows 10 store needs to be completely rehauled in my opinion from ux to uh ui to like the actual applications on there to the rating system um, I, I think it's a, it's a ma- massive, a massive failure for Microsoft. Uh, I, I don't see how they can bring it back up. I think they're trying to with the game section of it. They're trying their best because they're, they're allowing you to play like Xbox one games on PC, which is a huge plus, obviously like that. I'm very supportive of that kind of forward thinking. Uh, but 
I, I still don't think that'll save it. Even even if that does take off, I think people will use it very utilitarian, just be able to launch their games and hope that they don't crash because the store is that bad. Because I, I, I was just curious whether it's something, like I understand it's not in the greatest state, uh, as you've said. I don't want to like get in a rant, but I was just more curious, I guess, as to whether people with these cross-platform things should be even investing their time in it. Because it's like, oh, we want a Windows version Oftentimes that'll become, you know, a progressive web app, which is the next section or, or it'll just become like a web app, like just on the, on the web. And so but, it'll be like, it'll be like, do we really like, is it because it's within our compiling capabilities with the same code base? Is it worthwhile even looking at it? I, I don't think so. I think it's better to go into Ionic uh, and build a EXE. Okay. Package. I think I, I just think that, that that's better. You like have a website where you can in, where you can install the exe. You know what I mean, and it automatically like launches it. I think that's a that's a at this point, in my opinion, that's the better experience, user experience than having to have a link to the Windows Store and hope that the Windows Store works this time. Like I I just I don't think that that's that's the way to go. I. I, I think that it's a it would be great if the Windows Store was rehauled and like I'll, like maybe the next update will be like the you know Windows Store update and everything will be better and it'll be faster and uh, it'll have better search functionality and the the comments and and ratings will be better and stuff like that. But right now it's just it it it's not in that segment. So I my suggestion would be to literally build an Ionic app instead of what you're saying. Uh, package it as a UWP and have to go through the whole process of like you know the manifest and all that for uh, for the Windows Store. Okay, cool. Okay, yeah. It's just I'm just curious because with because people would probably be asking that it's like oh I have like eight platforms here should I do it for all of them? It's like no, wait a second. There is still some time investment, you know. And UWP yeah, exactly. is is big, but it's not very popular. Like it's on everything. Like it's on a bunch of Windows 10 PCs, but it's not. Yeah. You know. So I was just curious. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll move on to uh, segment number three, and that's uh, progressive web apps. So segment, I guess progressive web apps could be tied into segment number two, uh, the cross-platform technologies. Uh, but I wanted to give it its own segment because I think it's kind of the future of uh, of these kinds of like small business app development stuff. Uh, I think that uh, the cross-platform stuff will be on a lower priority in the future because of how impressive and expansive progressive web apps have become. Um, so I'll just explain what they are. So progressive web apps, they're like a website or a web application. So just the same standard JS, HTML, CSS code. Uh, and you give minor adjustments inside that code. Uh, and you give the user native functionality straight from the browser. So instead of having to like, you know, go through the process of packaging it to a specific platform through, I don't know, uh, Xcode or Android Studio or like any other plat- uh, platform packaging software, um, instead of having to do that, you can actually just put some things into your web, into your web application that makes the browser see it as a web, as a progressive web app. And it allows the user to use the native functionality as if they're a regular app. Uh, I think it's a huge, that that's a very important part to understand. It's just a web app with functionality of a native app, but inside of a browser. Um, so the next thing is, is like, how would you create a PWA? So how would you create a progressive web app? Uh, and like I said, you don't have to go through and you don't have to buy a Mac or yeah, you don't have to buy a Mac to create a, like a packaged application anymore. What all you have to do is make sure your site has HTTPS secure uh, security. So SSL, SSL certificate, 
Uh, the page needs to be responsive for mobile devices. That's obvious. Like if you want the page to run on mobile devices, it better look good on mobile devices. Uh, the third point, this is the biggest thing, and this might be the biggest like, oh, no, I, I don't want to do this. Uh, but th- this is the the page needs to use service workers to load URLs offline. So how this works, uh, a service worker is a background script that can be created and tied to your web page, but it doesn't have access to DOM elements. So it's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like that person maybe in, in a company, uh, it, like maybe an intern in a company that doesn't know all the interworkings of a company, but you will pass off like, hey, do this calculation for me. Uh, you don't need to know anything else. Just, you know, do the calculation, give it back to me. So that's how I like. So and then he would do the calculation, give it back to you and you save time because that person did the calculation. You didn't have to worry about it. You don't know when he's finished the calculation until he comes up to you and gives you the calculation. So that's kind of how a service worker works. Uh, so it doesn't understand what's going on in your web page, but you can pass off different tasks to it. And what this gives you and what the service worker now allows you to do is you can actually access native API. So you can pass off like, hey, can you access the uh, the push notifications for me and send this push notification? And the service worker now has access to the push notifications and it's able to now push that notification. The other thing you can do is, like I said, with the math, like say you're, you have a very math intensive application or a uh, very process intensive application. If the processing doesn't require user input or uh, DOM manipulation, you can pass that off also to a service worker. This is kind of an aside a little bit, uh, but you can pass that off to a service worker, let the service worker do, do the work. And that allows also a service worker is multi thread is a, is a different threaded application. So it's not working on the same thread as your web application which if you have more than one processor, if you have more than one thread in your computer, it allows the the Windows management to or Mac OS management to assign it to a different processor, giving you better performance. So usually, typically, J- JavaScript is, is single-threaded. A service worker actually allows it to be multi-threaded, which is a very big advantage if you're doing any, any complicated uh, processing tasks that are able to be parallelized. The parallelizing is... A whole other discussion and it's it's much more complicated than just saying oh we just paralyze that you have to worry about timing you have to worry about uh like you know app locking and stuff like that it's it's not as easy as it sounds but it's definitely a huge plus and if you're able to paralyze your application you can save massive amounts of time and massive amounts of uh of processing power so uh that, that's one advantage of service workers but mainly uh what the what we need the service worker to do is to cache and simulate server calls and responses. So what, what we need this for is for offline mode. So PWAs actually have the ability to be offline mode capable. So if you if you're able to like if the user able is able to access your website on an internet connection, uh, they'll access it. And what the what the service workers will do is they'll intercept all of your server calls, cache them, and then when the user comes back to that same applica- same website, same application in the future, and they don't have internet connection the service worker will act as a server act as the, the 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 call and response and you're able to then simulate and use your application as if as long as it's been cached as if it's a you know regular offline uh, application on your phone um so that that's a, to me is a huge advantage and this is the, the you know the step that you have to get across is how do service workers work? How do I implement them? Stuff like that. And uh, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more in the next little little section, but I'll, I'll finish off what else you need to create a PWA right now. Uh, so you need a web app manifest file as well. So what that does is it gives the, uh, the phone uh, or device that you're using the 
knowledge to know what to you know name your application when you add it to your home screen because that's something you're allowed to do you're allowed to uh, add the actual website to your home screen and it'll look almost exactly like a regular uh, site uh, sorry not a regular site but a regular application because it'll open up it won't have the nav bar up there it'll be full screen and it'll it, in the background yes it will be a website it will be using a web view but for the user for a regular user they won't know the difference because it's still accessing all their APIs and all that stuff and it looks it, on their home screen it actually looks like a regular web app, like a regular application there with the title and the, the icon so that in the, in the manifest you have to supply them with links to the icon files uh, the name the description stuff like that stuff that the user would need to see to build that to build that home screen experience um, and the other thing is it has to be able to load fast and I've put fast in quotes here because I haven't been able to find a definition. I think it, I think 10 seconds was, was the last one I, I found. So it has to be able to load in about 10 seconds uh, on a 3G connection. So that means the initial server call to like when, when the first user first gets onto your website, that has to happen on a 3G connection in about 10 seconds or so. I, I might be wrong on that 10 second thing, but there is a, a limit and it changes sometimes. So just be aware that it has to be able to load fast on a 3G connection. Um, there's a few other uh, requirements, but they're not as important. Uh, and I think you can get around them, but pretty much you, you can you can look it up uh, there. Google, Google, it's Google's initiative. The like, pre WAs are Google is a Google initiative, and they have some great documentation out there. There's also something called uh, PWABuilder.com. Um, now, I found this yesterday when I was just like looking looking for, through everything, and I actually put HTML the things. What it allows you to do is you can put a URL. Like so, if you have a website right now up, you can put a URL, the URL of the website, into PWABuilder.com, and it'll tell you what steps you need to do. Uh, to create the PWA of that website. And not only does it tell you, it actually gives you most of the most of the steps. So it'll give you the initialization of the server of the service worker. It'll give you uh, the manifest file that you can just fill in kind of thing. It'll try to pull as much information as it can off the website, and then the rest you can fill in, and then you can download that manifest file right off that website. You can also just, you know, copy paste the service worker code that it allows, and it gives you kind of different caching capabilities so do you want to just cache the calls that the user does do you want to cache like as many call like pre-cache uh all the calls that your your site has kind of thing and it actually generates the code for those service workers to be able to do that um i think it's a great thing to learn pwas and learn service workers in general like how they work how they how they initialize so that's why i'm i'm gonna put the link in the description in the show notes so definitely check those out um and check out this website if you're interested in progressive web apps um, and the last thing I want to talk about is the progressive web apps that I've used. Uh, so if you might not have even noticed that you're using one, but what happens is you go on a website and after maybe, maybe right away or after a little while, something will pop up on your phone and be like, do you want to add this to the home screen? And you'll be like, yes. And you won't even understand what's going on. And then all of a sudden it'll be on your home screen and then bam, you're, you're now using the progressive web app. Um, so Twitter Twitter has a great progressive web app. I, I, I've never installed Twitter on any of my devices, but as soon as I go to the Twitter website and I use it, uh, it'll actually ask me, prompt me to put it as a on my home screen. So I just press yes, and that's that's my Twitter app that I've always used and like pretty much probably always will use because it's fast, it loads quickly. Uh, I just don't see a reason to even install that application and have my Play Store have to manage it and update it every once in a while. Like I. Why why do that when the Twitter web app works just as well? I'm not a huge Twitter user, so I don't need maybe the 
the regular applications functionality. I don't know what the difference would be, but right, like performance wise and looks wise and everything else, like what I what I do with Twitter, it works perfectly fine. So that's a great uh, progressive web app that you can check out right now. Just on literally on your device, go to twitter.com and that you're right there looking at the progressive web app. That's the cool thing about them. Uh, Telegram messaging also has a progressive web app. So it works on both PC and mobile. So the mobile version, like the, the PC version of the site kind of works that way. Uh, and it also works fair, like reasonably well, gives you push notifications, you know, all those, uh, all that native functionality that you would need from a messaging application. So that's kind of my quick take on progressive web apps. Uh, the I, I will potentially be doing a progressive web app tutorial uh, and I'll probably be using HTML the things as kind of the uh, the progressive web app that I'm going to create. Uh, potentially something else as well. So I think yeah, the 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 two things that I'm planning on doing is probably native script with Vue.js, and I'll be looking into that a little bit more. And progressive web apps out of the ones that we're talking about. Uh, so again, let me know either through Instagram or Twitter uh, or and any other way that you can contact us on our social medias. Let me know if you want to see. Specifically, the progressive web app one, or the native script one, or maybe a different one altogether, and I'll definitely take a look. Um, so, yeah, that's that's about it. So, I'll, I think I'm going to pass it off to Matt to you know provide any comments or move on to the web news. Now, the only thing I guess the only thing I was kind of thinking of is like it'd be really cool for us to maybe even do some sort of tutorial eventually on a progressive web app because like we constantly use like a blog as a as an example for like. When we like, I mean, we use it in this episode, but we use it frequently in other episodes for like talking about RSS feeds and every other thing. So it'd be mm -hmm. it'd be interesting for for us to like maybe, and I'm not promising anything, people, but maybe it'd be like an interesting project to sort of like show off our website as a, like a progressive web app or something, because it's just like yeah. a blog, right? And then like essentially it's just like articles and that type of thing, and it'd be kind of cool to see, and then we could actually have content based on that, you know, like actually show it off and be like, hey guys, like take a look at this. This is how you do it, and this is what it looks like. It'd be kind of a a cool thing to even discuss, I think. But uh, mm -hmm. I think I'll move sure. on here to the web news because this this might uh, spark a de uh, a decent conversation. So, web news. Uh, it's called. It's entitled "Strict Learning" this time. So, and this is subjective and potentially controversial. So I'm just going to say it, and then uh, we'll discuss it. So schools seem to want you to do it right the first time, or risk losing marks, time, or in our case, electronic components. Uh, when we were doing our various electronics labs, uh, Mike and I in college, I'm saying. So uh, meanwhile, actual learning is supposed to be filled with mistakes and experimenting so that you can figure out what works and what doesn't and, you know, kind of wrap your head around everything. So an example, a direct one-to-one -one example is in college, Mike and I uh, would receive a new set of components for our labs that would be conducted throughout the semester. Uh, however, we would receive a limited set of components. Obviously, they're not going to give you like a million of, of like an op amp or something. Sometimes we would have spares, absolutely, sometimes we'd have spares, but sometimes we'd only have, like, a single component of a certain type. And you could, you could, you could actually purchase more if you wanted to, if they were in stock, again, if they were in stock, um, but that's expensive for, like, a student, and it's like, well, Jesus. Uh, also, these, com these components are generally cheap, and I'm not saying, like, cheap as in, like, cheap quality, like, it wasn't like we were buying the off-brand stuff, but it was, like, these are little electronic components, like they make them in the millions. It's like a little tiny thing that does nothing unless it's hooked up with a, a million other little things. So, like, 
like yet yeah, like we weren't expected to break them and like they and like they were we were also expected to not have a bunch of DOA components but it's like these things are made in the millions in in some cases it's like you know these are little cheap components like some of them are going to be dead on arrival they're going to break etc cetera, etc cetera. so anyway but so this really like discouraged i think like and this really discouraged messing around with circuits cuz we were building all these circuits, you know, logic gates and whatever else, and it really discouraged that, and it caused a lot of us to, like, keep going over and over and over and over and over our circuits before we hooked up power, which may be part of what they were trying to get us to do, right? Uh, I'm not trying to, like, like, I'm not trying to, like, drag someone through the mud here with this, but, like, it's just, it really discouraged messing around with it because it's like, oh, blew this op amp, now what do I do? It's like, well, we have a few extra op amps, but op amps also have, like, a high DOA rate, uh, if I'm remembering my studies correctly, so it's like, well, now what? Um, and then it's like a whole pain. You gotta go like to the lab guy and then like, you gotta like go find him and like, hopefully he's there. Cause like he's busy himself and it's like a whole like thing. And it really like, to me anyway, it like seems to like discourage the experimenting and what, what you would do like as a hobbyist, if you're messing around with circuits and that type of thing. So when we learn new technologies or new web technologies specifically, we typically end up setting it up incorrectly. Uh, you know, we do that a few times. There's a plethora of errors throughout the process and we slowly figure out what, you know, what should be working, how it works, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Vue.js is a prime example, a prime recent example, I should say. So this type of learning, I personally find the best for understanding because while you're like, you're doing it and you can figure out like, Oh, I pushed this too far. Like I can't, I can do this. I can't do this. Um, you know, can I, can I like move this around? Can I manipulate this? You know, oh, I don't quite understand this. Instead of me like just reading an article and like being paranoid about breaking something, I'm just going to go and break it, see what happens. And of course, software is a little easier because generally it's like software will break and then it's like, oh, is my software broke? I have to fix it. It's not like, you know, something actually like caught a fire or something like it could in a circuit. Um, so that, but like in school, it's like if you do that type of stuff, and again, it depends on the class and everything, it's subjective, but it's, it's, you could lose valuable marks. And one of the arguments I've heard, cause I've brought this up to a couple of friends. One of the arguments I heard as a counter argument is that, well, you should be making all your mistakes and it's acceptable to make all your mistakes before the test. But in college, it's like every little mark again, subjective depends on the class generally are like worth a decent amount. So those like quote unquote in between marks, those like ones that are in between the tests and exams are like can add up to 10% at least or more in our experience some of them are 50% and then the tests are 50% so it's like if you're sitting there learning and it's and you do it wrong it's like why am I losing a mark if I'm learning it it's like once I've learned it and then if I do it wrong dock my mark don't dock it before and I have a prime example of that we were doing uh, and I think I've talked to Mike about this several times we were doing surface mount soldering and we had they were like they made us these little boards and they had like I think it was six areas to solder these little resistors on for surface mount soldering. We'd never done it before and we're doing it by hand. So we're doing that. And then there were, so there were six little pads and you're supposed to like do these, do these things. And then they're like solder these little resistors on. And then what we were supposed to do is make a little circuit. So if I remember correctly, it was two resistors and two lights, like two little LEDs, surface mount LEDs. And we were supposed to do like, you know, resistor and then in series with like a, with the LED and another one. Resistor in, in series with a different color LED. And then he was supposed to test those. I got docked marks because my practice ones were crooked. But my good ones were not. Like, they were fine. Because I learned how to make them fucking straight. I learned how to make them so they were bang on on the little little solder pads. I understand this is getting outside of the, the realm of web development. But it's still something that we'd all probably experienced at one point, you know, in school. Not necessarily one-to-one same experience. But, like... You experience having marks docked over things that like don't warrant 
marks being docked. And so it's just something that I wanted to bring up because it was something that I realized in real life, a lot of us will just sort of dive into something. I mean, like depending on how confident you are and depending on what it is too, you don't want to dive into something super dangerous, but like if, if you know, you'll just be like, Oh, I don't know how this works. I'm just going to go dive into it. And if you do that in, in a school environment, oftentimes it's like, well, I got a 40. It's like, well, fuck. And, and maybe that's the way it's supposed to be designed. But to me, it just doesn't make much sense that the learning outside of the classroom is, well, I mean, it's, it, it, again, subjective. A lot of people say it's better. You learn a lot more, but maybe that's because you are not so afraid to make mistakes. Absolutely. You know, an IT guy first day on the job, regardless of if it's, of if it's his first day on the job, he does not want to, you know, delete the database. You know, obviously there's precautions need to be taken, but it's like, if the IT guy is like afraid to work within a test lab, like when he's just testing something, if he breaks that whole test lab, it's like, well, it's a test lab. Right. But it, it's, it's like, why is, why is it that we're in school being docked for learning that first part? It's like, literally I showed up. I had no knowledge of this. I was taught it in 10 minutes or an hour or whatever, however long it was. And then I was told to, in our case, uh, do it practically I've never also done it practically. I don't have any muscle memory, no skill in this. And then I get docked marks. And, and I'm not trying to like whine that I lost marks, whatever. I still did well. I'm not trying to say that. But I'm saying that the actual, to me, that fundamental system is broken. Uh, I don't know whether you have anything to chime in there, Mike. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm, education in general, I'm a big proponent of reform. I think it needs to be taken and looked at it in a completely different way. I, I agree with most of your points. Um, I think in our school system right now, failure is very like looked down upon and it's like a negative stigma if you fail at anything or if whatever. And I think that that's a very bad lesson to be instilling into kids or anyone really like failure should not be something that's completely looked down upon. Failure means that you tried something. And I think that's where we have to make the differentiation. I think that the people that there's a lot and and everyone knows these people that go into school, don't do anything, don't show up, don't don't try nothing and then they fail. That should be looked down upon. There's no doubt about that and we like I I'm, Matt and I would definitely agree on that because we've had discussions about it. But the thing that bothers me is that the people that show up and then give it a shot and try and then fail and then, you know, get those bad marks and then they're looked down upon. They're yelled at by their parents. They're yelled at by the teachers. They're like, they're looked down upon by the people. That makes them like internally think like, okay, I'm not going to try anything then. That's it. Like, uh, that's fine. That, like if, if I fail, if I've tried, failed, and then now everyone's yelling at me, why, what's the point of me going in and, you know, trying to be a doctor now or trying to be an engineer? Like I'll just go and hammer rocks for a living or something like that. I think that's, that's the issue with the education system is failure should not be like it should be defined differently in than what it is right now if you go to a test and you've done all your work up to that test and you've done all your studying and you fail that test um even like you were saying like you know tests are kind of excluded from this but i think tests are included in this because sometimes people have bad days sometimes people maybe prepared for something like they just prepared wrong in a different way i think they should be taken that should be taken as a different sign, not just like here's a zero and let's move on to the next test. No, like they should be, they should be corrected. 
Like you should be able to have the opportunity to either retake the test or take something different or do something different to either make up the marks or make up the knowledge that you missed out on. Because obviously if you failed and you weren't able to get that knowledge because you weren't able to answer the questions, you can't like moving on is the completely the the opposite thing that you should be doing at that point. Like you shouldn't be moving on to the next test because you're probably going to fail that too. Like it's how, how are you going to move on if you don't have the knowledge of the previous test? It's very bizarre to me again, that failure in the way it is right now is looked down upon. Um, it's it's a strange ed- educational system because like you said, when we're learning web development, failure is the number one thing that we learn on. Like everything that we do initially is a failure because uh, we're doing either security wrong, we're doing optimizations wrong. Like that's, fa- we're failing at those things. But the, like I have no, like initially I was afraid to try stuff uh, because I was afraid of that failure because of my educate, like the education system, putting it into us that if you fail at something, that's it. You should stop. Like you should, you should move on to the next thing or something like it doesn't make any, like that, that, that to me is a very contradictory response to learning. Like learning should be about failure. Like you should be, you should make failure a very important topic during the studies. Like if someone fails, don't look down upon them. Look at it as a, as an opportunity to teach them differently. Like it's, it's not it shouldn't be that mutually exclusive, like, oh, you failed, then that means that you don't understand the topic, and that means that you should move on to a different topic and learn something else. It, it's a very strange concept. And I'm not saying that all the teachers are the same. Like, I've had teachers that kind of approach failure the same way that I'm thinking right now, uh, in a more positive way, where they were allowed, you were allowed to retake tests, they were, you were allowed to, like, if you failed, you actually, they actually reached out to you and, like, got, like, sat down with you and explained what, why you fail, like, stuff like that. Um, I've had teachers that would do that to students and that seemed to be like for me, at least from like where I was looking at, that was the right way to do it. Um, I don't know. Like it's, 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 it's the education reform is always a tough topic and people get all defensive, especially if you talk to teachers and you talk to teachers unions and stuff like that. And I mean, teachers unions are very, very secured and they don't want to change anything that could potentially make a teacher work harder because they're not getting paid enough to work harder and stuff like that. And I understand those arguments, but, um, it, on the other hand, like education is, is such an important topic that we should be talking about it literally all the time. Like that should be everyone's platform for running for office and stuff like that should, should be education as one of the main platforms, because that's what makes the next generation of people that are going to be running everything better. So if you're thinking about future stuff, like if you're thinking about your employees in the future, if you're thinking about your, like your kids in the future, like education is the foundation of all of that. So it it doesn't make sense to me that it's like this weird taboo subject in these discussions, all because of these like massive corporations, massive unions that don't want change. Like it's, it's, it's an insane concept to me that it's not talked about more. Um, but that's the world we live in. And like, if we want change, then we're going to have to like, if you're ever teaching someone, like if I'm um, hopefully this, this will kind of make sense to you and you'll approach it a little bit of a different way. Because in my opinion, failure should not be looked down upon. That's, that's how I see it. I don't know if you want to comment on, on that, Matt. Yeah. Like it's, it's super interesting that you say that because it's, it's, it's like, it's almost like as if your, your values um, or not your values, but like the, your advice, I guess, like switches. And I mean, we're in the entrepreneurial world. So 
you know, you know, the advice obviously varies there because there's a lot of guys that will like talk about how to build your business. And a lot of the time, those, those guys that talk about building your business, the, the entrepreneurial experts or startup experts, whatever you want to call them, they, they'll always say like, just don't be afraid to fail, you know, just keep going and whatever. But it's like in school, it's like you had one shot, like you said, at that test, even you'd one shot at that test, one shot at the, the homework, one shot at the, the activity, one shot at the project, whatever. And it's, and it's like, it's like, Jesus Christ. It's like, what if I was sick? You know, and it's and mm-hmm. like, what what am I supposed to do? And, and like, I mean, there's, you know, you can take sick days from work and that type of thing. And that, that can be a mess if you're like really sick. But it, it's it's like, it's like, what, like, what am I supposed to do here? It, and and it was interesting. One point that kind of hit home for me when you said is you're, you're like, I'm, I was afraid to try things. Um, I'm almost still working on that as like a personal note. And, and like Mike knows this because I spam him. I get fucking mad. Like, I'm a bit of a firecracker sometimes, like, or a lot of the time, and I can get, like, really pissed off if I'm trying to learn something, and I don't understand it. But I think, and I don't want to start passing the blame, but I think that's because of my time in school. Because it's like, oh my god, I don't understand this, I'm gonna fucking fail this. Because tomorrow we're covering something new. And it's like, it's like a muscle memory or something, like, it's something I'm working on personally, but it's like, I, I get angry. It's like, I'm trying to compile something in Vue.js, there's an error... I start to like panic, start to like sweat, start getting really angry, and I start like freaking out. And I start like trying to figure it out, and I'm like mashing shit, and then I'm like messaging Mike like a madman, because I'm trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And it's like, I mean, like Mike, like, I mean, we talked about this before, where you'll just get like a hundred messages from me rapid fire, because I'm just like off the rails now, because it's like, I can't figure this out. I've read all the manuals. I guess I'm just dumb. So I guess I'm going to quit. And it's like, I understand that that sounds totally ridiculous. But I think it stems from, and I think it's really important that you mentioned this, I think it stems from school being like, and it's probably specifically math, because I fucking hate math, math class specifically, is is it's like, it's like, if you didn't get it that night, fuck you, we're moving on. Like, we're moving to a new topic tomorrow, so too bad. And it's like, well, good. You, you know, like, honestly, though, it's like, if you if you fell behind that night, you know, you had a chance of losing marks or whatever, and it's literally just like, well, too bad. And and it's this, and you're right, it's like the system, right? And like, I'm not necessarily blaming it on every teacher. You know, we've all had our bad, bad teachers, but I'm not necessarily blaming it on every teacher, but it is the system in that the system says every single day cover a new topic under this unit. So it's like, you know, one master topic, and there's a bunch of the little, you know, ideas and like topics you need to cover. So maybe 12. So you do, you know, 12 topics, and then you do a test. And and it gets to the point where it's like, what if this person falls behind on, on the middle one and they all build on the middle one? Like, what if they get stuck on six of 12? And you know what I mean? And it's not like because they're dumb. It's just they don't understand this one thing. And they do get looked down on. You'll get, like, made fun of. You'll get, like, ridiculed. You'll lose marks. And it's just like, Jesus fucking Christ. And so I think that's kind of where I stem, where I start getting, like, like mad at stuff when I can't. And I, I shouldn't because it's like, well, this is Vue.js. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And, like, when I say it out loud like this, like, it sounds ridiculous that I get so pissed off. But it's almost like a natural response where I just start like freaking the hell out and I just like can't like it's it's bad and it's something I should definitely work on. It's probably one of my biggest weaknesses is I just like get fired up when when I don't fully understand something and I won't and I like the worst thing is is too is it's it's like oftentimes my solution is within a paragraph let's say on in a guide but I'm panicking now so I'm trying to read it and I'm trying to like scan through it and I'm going through like 18 resources and it's like if I had just read that paragraph you know, the eighth sentence in or something would have my solution, but I didn't read the whole thing. Cause I just scanned it. Cause I was panicking. 
So then I started like going crazy and I started like going through other resources and I also can't find them there. Like I can't find the solution anywhere. So I start like ripping things all to shreds trying to figure out how to like get it to work because I'm trying to get it done efficiently because I'm worried about the, like I'm worried about the time and it's like, Jesus, like it's too much. You know what I mean? And it, and I understand that. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not like, to be clear, I'm not like panicking and punching holes in walls. It's not to that degree. It's not like that. It's not like I'm, I'm totally off the rails like that. But like my mind is off the rails. Like it's, I'm just running rampant. And I think that's a really good point you brought up is it's like, it's like, it's like why, like, like we need, I think, and, and I don't, I do not want this to get political in any way, but I think we need education reform because I think education has changed. Um, one of the things that I remember discussing I, in high school at some point, I can't remember whether it was a colleague or a class. I don't remember, but it was like how the workplace has changed. So it's like on your phone now and it's all the time and whatever. And one of the things that I think I mentioned to a math teacher or something, I can't, I, again, high school, it's been a long time, but it was like, I was mentioning to somebody and there, and the one guy was like, why, why is there so much homework? And I said, well, it's breeding us so that we don't stop. We don't, we don't like, we don't like turn off. And I think that maybe I got my ideals messed up. Maybe I was just so like broke. Cause like, I, I really didn't like, I did like two hours of math homework a night. And like, so did everyone else. I'm not trying to be the victim here, um, to be totally clear. But it's like, it's like, there's a point in which it's like, Jesus Christ, it's like you're in school for six hours a day. There's a whole bunch of topics. And then they're giving you two, three hours a night of this work. And like, I was just sort of like really done because it's not like, it's not like if you give me like a whole bunch of web development work for a few days, it's like, it's not going to kill me, but it's like, it's cause I really hated it. And you're like forced to do these topics. So it's like, Jesus. And so like, I remember having that discussion with somebody where I was like, they're trying to break us down so that we don't turn off. And I, I was serious. And I was like, they're trying to make sure that we are always plugged in. And I said, I wouldn't be surprised if I live my life with a headset and die by the headset so I can always answer the phone. <laughs> and I remember that, like, I, it was a pretty low point. But, like, <laughs> I think math did it to me. But, like, it was bad. Like, it was like, and I understand, yeah. and again, like, I don't want to sound like a victim. Everyone was experiencing the same thing. I'm not trying to say that math is impossible. I'm not trying to say any of that. But what I'm saying is, is, like, it's... I think the education system seriously needs reform because look at how much more you learn from co-op. And like, I had a couple co-ops, maybe one, I can't remember if it was one or two. I had one or two co-ops as like a teacher's assistant in, in high school. And like, those were relaxing. I did a lot of work though, but like, those were relaxing. I never worried about doing all this. Like I never worried about like doing all this crap where I didn't understand it. I never worried about like messing up, answering some kids like question. Cause I could always just go back and be like, yo, I messed that number up or whatever. Like, it wasn't, like, super ridiculous. And, like, that's essentially emulating a job. So it's weird that the education system is doing this, like, hard, brute force, almost attack. Uh, I'm not trying to say the education system is attacking students. I'm not trying to say that. But what I'm saying is, is it's, like, it's, like, it's too much. And I'm not trying to sound like a wuss either. You know, I have a lot of disclaimers in, in what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> because, well, I want to tread lightly because I don't want people to take things the wrong way. Right? But, yeah. like, what I'm trying to say is, is, like... Like, I don't know about your experience, Mike, but it's like going home. Like, I remember coming home from high school and it's like two hours of math homework. And then it's like, okay, I got to do like English and all this other shit. And again, everyone has to do that too. I understand that. I'm not trying to be the victim. But when it comes to a point where it's like, I'm not really using that math and I'm not really using like a bunch of these other things. It's like, why, why am I like, like, like it's, you, you start to question why you're doing it. And I have a really good example of this from high school too. And I'll let you like take off of the discussion after this, but, um, in math, it's, it was like, it was like a rather strict 
in terms of time limit. And it was like rather complex for us, right? We're learning, you know, derivatives and whatever else. Like it was new to us. So it's complex advanced functions and calculus and the whole bit, whatever. So it's like, it's like a lot of people are struggling. A lot of people are getting knocked out. And I remember a couple of the students and I wasn't there, but they, I remember a couple of students saying, and again, I'm getting this from a third party that the teacher had just told them, maybe you should look for a new field because you don't understand this and you're not going to get the markup. And I always thought to myself, I'm like, is that like the valid, is that like the validation that I need? It's like, if I don't get this number up, like I'm just fucked. And I, I, like that, like that, that bothers me. And like you, like you made a really good point about the tests. I think that kind of goes back to that point where it's Mm -hmm. like, it's like, I don't know whether that teacher should have said it. I also don't know whether the teacher said it. Um, cause I was not there, but if that was actually said word for word, it's sort of like, why are you here? Like, I've always asked that of like bad, like of bad teachers. Like, it's like, why are, why are you here? Like, go sit down, give us the book, give us me, give me a 50 or give me a 40. Pass me, fail me, get me, get out of here. Um, and, and that sounds really, really stupid, but it's like, you're wasting your time up there. If you don't give a fuck, then, then do that fully. Then really don't give a fuck and sit down and just let, let us figure it out. And if we don't fail, like, uh, like, honestly though, like I understand that again, that's a really controversial thing to say. And I'm not saying all my teachers were bad. I'm not saying that they were all good either. I had a lot of really good ones and I get, and this is a positive story. Now we had, you know how, like when you start writing essays in high school, um, and it's like, un- and this goes into college. So it's like you, you start writing essays in high school and it's like, you know, the beginning is just sort of like you start learning the structure, like, oh, five paragraphs and here's the different types, argumentative ones and, you know, whatever, all the different types of essays and how to write them. And it's like logistical. So you start getting, you know, if you, if you do the logistics and you do the parts, right. Even if it's not phrased nicely, you get good marks because you learned the logistics, you learned the delivery. And then it's like, now you have to work on the presentation, if you will, of it. I'm sure they have better words for this, but it's like, you have to make the words like meld. You have to have nice sentences. Like you start to craft that. Well, a lot of us, uh, and, and like, this is, you know, class wide, a lot of us started to lose that. And I remember I had this English teacher that was like, it was like myself, my one buddy. And I think somebody else was like, you guys come in at lunch. I got to talk to you guys. And he was saying like, you guys are going on the wrong trail for essay writing. And he's like, you guys are going on an offshoot and you're staying with this like super logistical way of delivering an essay. And he's like, you're worrying too much about the logistics of like this paragraph is this thing. This paragraph is this. He's like, you need that. So he like re like he literally called it rebuilding our writing skill with essays. And now I find writing essays relaxing. And so like, that's like a really positive, uh, teacher experience that I had because it's like, now I could just write an essay. It doesn't bother me. And, and I was, um, I, like, I was the valedictorian for my class, not to gloat, but I was the valedictorian for my class. And I, like, I wrote a speech and I find writing even now rather relaxing. Like I, I've told Mike, like, sometimes I write my best writing when I'm like super angry or super fired up and I just start writing and then I'm like calm by the end of it. And so like, that was like a really positive experience. And, and again, it's, it's, I think it's more so the curriculum for math that riles me up because it's so fat, like rapid fire topics. But it's like, if I had, if I had that type of experience in math, I think I would have saw things different. And I did have that experience in math in, in college. One teacher that stands out, I'm not naming names, but one teacher that stands out, um, and Mike knows who I'm talking about was like an extremely good math teacher. And it was like, math was relaxing. You'd show up to math. There'd be some jokes. There'd be some whatever. There was no tricks. He taught every topic. 
And we were like, there were, there were times, I remember there was just one thing where he was like, these last three weeks I can keep teaching. Like, he's like, we're done. He's like, I've made the curriculum. So I've cut it short by three weeks. So we have three free weeks. And he's like, it was something like three weeks. I don't know if that's actually an accurate time frame, but it was like a bunch of classes. And he's like, what do you guys want to do? Do you guys want to do worksheets? What do you want to do? And everyone's like, we really just want to hit this hard and do worksheets. And he just brought us fresh worksheets every day. And the test was just worksheets with different numbers. And that was it. And that's like, that's math. Like I, I never was freaked out by, by math really in college at all in high school. And again, this is not necessarily the teacher's fault. And I had a couple good math teachers in college or in, in high school. I had a couple good math teachers in high school to be clear. I'm not pointing the finger, but what I'm saying is, is like that same experience that I had in like English ha- was like happened in high school. And like, that's like a proper learning thing, but that's almost like educational reform. Like that teacher took it upon himself, right. To take us aside and rebuild us for the English. That other teacher took us aside, right. Or not, uh, not like not aside, but he took the class and made it so that he taught it in a shorter period than what they suggested so that we could do whatever the fuck we needed. Do we need more lessons? Do we need more exercises? What do we need? And he's open to that. And like, because everyone was doing like, for the most part was doing rather well in the class, his marking is easier and he's, he's, he looks good. Everyone knows what the hell they're doing. Everyone knows what the hell we're talking about. And like, it's, it's not, I'm not sitting there in math class, like freaking out being like, Oh Jesus. Like if I don't understand this type of topic, I have 70 questions to do tonight. I'm fucked. You know? Um, I don't know if you want to build on that, Mike. That's a bit of a, a massive rant, but yeah, I'll, I'll add a few couple things, but I think we should wrap it up real soon. Um, but yeah, like, so the po- like couple points on education reform again, uh, I, I just want to point out that I'm, I'm not suggesting anything for reforming. Uh, mainly what I'm saying is that there's a lot of smart people out there that are in this field that, that know education really well. I'm not one of them. Uh, I don't know, Matt, probably not either. Like we're not, we're not saying that we're the ones to reform education, but I think that there's enough smart people out there, enough good teachers, enough good people that they can sit down in a room and think of something better than what we have now. And I think that's like this, this, that conversation is right for a lot of different subjects in the world and subjects, things like I, I'm always, I'm always of the mind that there's so many smart and and dedicated people in different subjects that there there's got to be a way to get them to sit down and solve the problems that are in their fields and i totally agree that for education as well like like you said like we had that one math teacher and i think almost everyone responded to him positively uh, other than a few maybe a few other people that just didn't show up or just didn't do the work like i said those people don't count in my discussions right now the people that don't that don't show up and don't do the work uh, are irrelevant in education because they're like the only way you can get them to do that is if to sit down with them one-on-one or you have to somehow reach them in a different way, but they're not going to do the work anyway. So we're talking about the people that show up and try really hard. And math is a very good topic to bring up for that because literally every lesson, it builds on the lesson before that. And if you don't understand one lesson, you're screwed. So just like Matt said, where he had to do two hours of homework every night and if, if he came to class and he's like, well, I don't understand this question. I, I think you should point the, the finger at the teacher at that point, to be honest. Like, I, I think you holding your punches against him is a, the wrong thing to do, because even though that he is in this system, he is in this education system where he's forced to go one like lesson after lesson. It doesn't mean that he has to and it doesn't mean that he can't provide a different way of showing you how it works. It doesn't mean that he has to like demean you and create this atmosphere of like failure uh, 
is every like failure is the worst thing ever and if you don't understand one topic you're screwed for the next one like there is a way to do it where it's not like that and you like like you said we had a teacher and he did it that way like if you didn't understand something a you could always go up to him for help you can like there was many many resources for getting help after class like there was i'm pretty sure everyone took advantage of those um and we we did do a lot of homework for for that class and it might have been two hours a night might have been a little bit less because we got more done in in the actual class setting uh and but it, it didn't feel like those two hours were hell that's the thing. Like, I, I don't, I don't particularly feel like we should be like going, you know, no homework at all, or like limit the amount of homework. I think there should be definitely some work you take home, and there should be some work you do like on your own, and you have to figure it out on your own. I think that's a very important skill to have, and I think that, like just sitting your your ass in a chair and just doing work uh, in general is an important skill to have. Like, other than like you know going out and doing something else or gaming or whatever. I think that like the balance, like working out your work life balance early on. And getting into that rhythm is an important feature of life. Uh, but I think that the way you do, like the way you present the work and the way you teach provides students with like either pleasure or the ability to do this work without having to like think of it as like the absolute epitome of hell. Like if, if you're, if you're, all your students are going home and just hating every single second. And I had this in physics. Uh, my physics teacher was horrendous and I, I'm not, again, I'm not going to name names, but oh my God, I could just... <laughs> There's a lot of things that I would like to say to him, but every day that I would come home and do homework for physics, I hated every second of it. And that was just one physics teacher. The next physics teacher I had was just fine. But again, it it is, in my opinion, very much on the teacher and it is, it should be on their shoulders to provide you with that uh, environment to learn, environment to fail, even, even without education reform, as I was talking about, even without that, they still have the ability to do that, witnessed and exam- exemplified by all the other teachers that are able to make it work. I think the fact that we allow bad teachers into our system so re- readily and so freely without any control whatsoever and just like letting them go and like, everyone knows like if when you're in high school everyone knows who the bad teachers are, right? Like and that's not including stu- I'm, I'm not saying just students. Everyone like the teachers themselves internally know who the bad teachers are, and they do absolutely nothing about it. Which, which like is zero. Stupid, which is fucking stupid. Yeah, which is like absolutely zero is done about the bad teachers. Like, so they just allow them to operate the way they operate. They allow them to break the students that they break, and they try to do their best with their own students, the, the good teachers. I think that that there's no accountability in teaching, and this is again a knock on the union, in my opinion. Like a political or not political i think the union is very much responsible for the fact that these there's no accountability whatsoever inside of teaching um and i think honestly private schools are a little bit better in this case like uh, people rip on private schools a little bit but i think like if you go to if you look at a private school and you go and talk to the teachers and you go and you look at their curriculum they have a much more refined curriculum and they have much more accountability within their system because they're allowed to operate outside of this union and they're allowed to operate outside of this like bubble that all the other schools have to operate in in a very constrained you know system so giving the the, the teachers to be the ability to be agile is a huge advantage you get to you know, you know, the, the teachers that are fed up with the system go to these private schools and they're able to actually institute changes. And yes, they cost a lot of money. But if you find a good private school and if you meld well with the teachers, like if you talk to you go to the meetings and you meld well with the teachers, I think it's absolutely a hugely positive environment. I think it's bad that it's cost so much. It's cost prohibitive um, because you're 
essentially just providing privileged people with privileged education. I think that's a huge negative in this in this system. I think again, it should be made available to everyone. Like these, I, I think in the U.S. or in the New York State, they're called charter schools, um, where they they kind of operate outside of the board of education, but they're still funded by by the government. So anyone can join. Anyone can go there. It's free. Uh, but they're allowed to operate in the way that they want to teach education. They just have to kind of like pass standardized tests and that's it. As long as their students can pass the standardized tests that all the other students pass, they can educate them whatever way they want. I think that kind of system should be implemented here where they allow these schools to open up and try different things. And, and different kids can go to different kinds of schools based on their learning style, right? Like, not everyone can learn the same way. We all we all know this. So maybe we can open up different kinds of education education lanes for people that learn different ways. I don't know. Like again, I'm not the one to do this change. I don't know anything about education. I I think that there are smart people out there that could figure something out, sit together in a room and just solve this issue because it is an issue and it should be solved. Um, but I want to I want to leave it at that. I think I, I don't I don't want to add too much more to this discussion because I'm just I'm not an expert in it. Yeah, absolutely. And like, just as a closing note, um, just as like a closing note, like, I mean, and, and I'm sure Mike has experienced the same thing. Like, no, I haven't had any teacher ever tell me to like, fuck off or you suck or anything like that. But it's just like within their actions sometimes where it's like they like Mike said, like they slowly break you down sometimes. And again, it's some of them like I've had I've had teachers that in, and even in math where they've been really great and they've helped you after class or before class or like whatever, like around the class hours. Right. And they've like taken time out of their day and they've like sat down and done extra questions. Absolutely. And that's in high school. That's in college. That's everything. Absolutely. I'm not saying all of them are bad. And again, I'm not naming any names, but Mike is a hundred percent right. And I agree with this is that why the fuck are we letting bad teachers in? It's like people know who, who has the reputation. What the hell is happening? Why are they in there? Get them out of there. Like, just get them out of there. Like, and, and that would help so much between, like, closing that gap between, like Mike said, between, like, the private and whatever. Like, whatever. Like, that's an argument. That's, like, almost, I'm not getting into that right now because I don't know. But it's just, like, if there's a problem in our current existing education public school system, and we're in Canada, to be clear, why why are we letting it go rampant? It's like, oh, these are these are the three bad teachers. It's like, okay, if you were on a maintenance team and there were the three bad welders, guess where they'd be? They'd be at the freaking job fair looking for another job because they're the guys that on the team that like nobody really likes. It's like, why are these guys like left to be like, ah, fuck, I don't care. Because like, honestly, like if, if and like people are like, oh, well, students are terrible like to their teachers. It's like, that might be true, but it's like, you're not, it's not like you went into the job like, not knowing that necessarily. And... I think you're going to get some mutual respect out of people. And again, I assume, uh, out of, out of people, if you give them respect, you know, like Mike said, the exchanges with our college experience with math, was like completely fine. There was no, no bullshit. Nobody like, I, as far as I know, no one freaked out except for the people that didn't show up. And that's their fucking problem. But like, it's just, it's just one of those things where I think it needs some looking at and root out the issues and again, I'm not an expert. I don't know. I, that's just, again, <laughs> I want to reiterate that, but I think, I think that's enough, uh, enough discussion. And if you guys have any discussion on this, cause I'm sure there will be something, go ahead and leave us a, a line or something on Facebook or on our, 
on our, any of our posts on uh, Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Like, like hit us up and like, like let us know your thoughts about this or message us, email or us. Or on htmallthethings.com. htmallthethings.com. We got the comment section up. That's right. Um, so, yeah, just like let us know, like, hey, you know, whether you agree, disagree, whatever, whatever. Like, we are not experts in this. This is our personal experience. We're just blurting it out. That's if you had a great experience, let us know. Bad experience, let us know. Whatever. Um, but I think I'm going to conclude the episode now, uh, unless Mike has anything else. No, nope, I'm good. Okay, so in conclusion, thanks for listening. And make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can also follow us on the socials, at HTML, all the things on Facebook and Instagram, at HTML, everything on Twitter. We got a Medium. We have a GitHub. We also have a website now, finally. Woo! And also, we are on Patreon. Patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out the tiers. Give that a go. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform you're listening to this on. And we are signing off. We'll be right back.